Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Grizzly Bear Blues Live. And I guess I shouldn't say another episode. It's a new episode. It's been a while. I uh, haven't been on these airwaves or these blog waves or these pod waves, whatever you say it, uh, for a very long time. Um, it's been a hell of a year. I'm not going to lie to you. I've got a new job. I've been in a new city. I work at a new school. I coach a new team. It all happened within five months. It's been nuts, ladies and gentlemen, but I'm here, I'm alive, and it's Grizzlies basketball season again. So thankfully, I uh, have that distraction to look forward to, or maybe it's unthankfully, depending on how you view me. But if you're listening to this show, chances are you like the way I do things at least a little bit. You like Grizzly Bear Blues, and you almost certainly like the Memphis Grizzlies. So wherever you are, whether it's Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, iHeart, uh, Google Podcasts, however you get your podcast. Thank you for checking out Grizzly Bear Blues Live and all of our shows over on the GBB Podcast Network, 3ND Core 4, Starting 5, and then, of course, The Long View with Parker Fleming, who does a remarkable job running our podcast network. Tonight's show, this week's show, is going to be a good one. I've got Jackson Frank rejoining the program later on in the podcast. He's going to talk to us about his great piece that he just did on Jaron Jackson Jr., expectations for Jaron and the Grizzlies at large. But before I get to all that, I'm going to welcome my first guest. He did a wonderful project, and I can't stress this enough. He he invited me to be a part of it, and it meant a lot because I know how much work goes into doing something. When you say you're going to do the quest for the best, which is what this podcast limited series is called, and you take on the question that everybody asks, Jordan or LeBron, and obviously there are other players that are in that mix too, but you take on that question, it takes a lot of research to be taken seriously, and my guest tonight did just that. He invited me on there uh, to, to discuss some things, and you know I really wanted to return the favor in this first episode back on the airwaves. This is Matt Issa. Uh, he is an NBA writer and podcaster. He created the quest for the best at the underscore quest six. He also does the Hoops Head podcast. Um, he he just does a lot of good things. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he is really, really, really someone that if you want to start off a new podcast season and you want to start from a broad basketball perspective and rein it in, this is your guy. Matt, thank you so much for joining GBB Live. Oh, Joe, the pleasure is all mine. I was telling you beforehand, you know, I was so excited to do this. And um, you made a little comment about like, if you're listening, you must like the way I do things. And I'm like, it might just be that, you know, you guys at uh, Grizzly Bear Blues have like the best Memphis Grizzlies content. So like, there's nowhere else to go for it, you know, but um, uh, you make a fair point. And um, I do wish that there was more consistent content out there, especially free content. You know, obviously with SB Nation, we have the the ads and that sort of stuff, and we're able to to be in that ballpark a little bit better. Um, but you know, it's it's a team that's a lot of fun, and we'll talk more about that here in a minute. You know, I feel like I, I wish more people would pay attention because they're pretty awesome, and uh, and it starts with John Morant. But again, we'll get to that. I really want to talk about you, and before we do that, I'm I'm Rusty here. Uh, ways to get in touch with the show: follow us on Twitter at GBB Live. You can follow me on Twitter. <clears throat> Excuse me. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Mullinax. You can follow the blog that I am fortunate enough to be the site manager for SB Nation's Grizzly Bear Blues at SBN Grizzlies. You can follow Matt on Twitter at Matt ISSA15. Okay, Matt, 
quest for the best. Before we get into the Grizzlies, I want to know what motivated you to take on this project. Because I, again, from listening to it, from seeing all the folks that you brought on board, you did a ton of work. So what brought about your motivation to give this thing a go and try to answer this question? Yeah, well, like, I think the root cause of all of it, and I mean, I'm sure you can, you can appreciate this is like, I don't, I decided maybe about a year ago, like, I've really got to try my best to not work a real job. Like, I want to do something that I love every day. And so I'm like, well, obviously, you know, I want to talk about basketball. And, you know, there's a lot of guys trying to make it. And usually, like, okay, I'll give you a perfect example right now of somebody in the industry who's kind of followed this trajectory, uh, Chris Herring. For, if I'm not mistaken, Chris Herring, he started out at SB Nation, didn't he? Am I wrong, right? He might have. It's uh, the silver screen role. I feel like he did. Maybe. Uh, I know uh, O'Connor. Uh, that works for the ringer. I think it's Kevin O'Connor's yeah. name. I know he's yeah, I'm pretty sure he was Liberty Ballers, or no, it might have been Celtics blog. Uh, he was one of those, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. KOC was. But Herring, yeah. I'm honestly so, not sure. It's possible. Well, like besides the point though, like, you know, he so then he obviously, you know, started working at SI and now he's like kind of culminated his career with his new book that's coming out. But like so I'm like, okay, I mean, let's try to do the reverse order. Let me try doing the big project first and maybe it'll help me kind of, you know, get uh, myself uh, kind of acclimated with the climate that is NBA Twitter and whatnot. And so I'm trying to think to myself, I'm like, okay, what's something like, you know, that everybody loves to talk about and like just human beings in general, we love lists, you know, top 10 TV shows, top 10 favorite entrees from Applebee's, like, you know, just things of that nature. And so I'm like, okay, top 10 greatest of all time. And then, you know, the more and more time you spend with something, the more it becomes a part of you. And I started to, I got the idea of like talking to other people because obviously as a human being, I have my own inherent biases. So I started talking to other people as kind of like a way to check myself and to get more perspectives. And also because as we know now, the game is 75 years old and I am not 75 years old. So I needed to fill the knowledge, uh, the lapses in my knowledge and, you know, the more interviews I did, the more I felt kind of uh, this endowment. I, I don't know if the word endowment is the right one, but like I felt this need to give back to those people like you who took time out of their day by giving everything I had into this project and really being honest with um, myself and the viewers about looking through it quantitatively, qualitatively, whatever. This is the story of the NBA. And I think at the end of the day, the quest for the best is more about retelling. You kind of said it like retelling the history of the game through the lens of these 10 players. You know what I mean? Yeah, I understand that completely. And I think that as a history teacher, because that's my day job is I teach history. I appreciate that lens because when you look and the 75th year is a great year to do it. When you're looking at how the NBA has been formulated when you talk about the 70s in particular and the issues, obviously, with the, the ABA and the different pe- talent that was involved there, um, I do think that there's so much to be said for taking a moment to just reflect back on how far the game has come, you know, from the 40s and 50s all the way to now, how the athletes have obviously shifted. And of course, the politics of the time make those shifts even more seismic. And it really is just kind of a window into how life was because so much of sport reflects who we are as a people and what we value. So I I really thought it was a worthwhile project. I was happy to do it. 
Um, I, I won't give away any spoilers because, again, this is a limited series. Like, you can listen to it now. You haven't missed anything. It's not like it's a new episode or anything like that. Um, so if I'm rec- if we're recommending it, which we most certainly are, uh, give me a synopsis of some of the folks that you had on. Again, you had me on, and I appreciated that. Uh, but some other people that you spoke with, and then maybe just like a smack roll of of what the top 10 or at least maybe number 10, number nine, something to bring folks in uh, if they're going to go and listen to the quest to be the best. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, like the most the most venerable, I guess, guests I had were, I mean, I had like, you know, Brad Sellers, um, MJ's former teammate, uh, a bunch of college coaches, Coach Bob Huggins, Coach Fran McCaffrey. Um, I talked to Dean Oliver, you know, like the godfather of uh, analytics and basketball. I spoke with Bob Ryan. He was one of the first people I talked to. That was that was a surreal experience. I mean, that guy, he's probably the closest thing we have to like a historian. That is a fantastic guest. A fantastic yeah. get. Yeah, he was awesome. I mean, especially with like the, you know, the older guys like Bill Russell and Wilt. Um and for like how about this? How about this one for um kind of teasers? Wilt Chamberlain is not in my top ten. So I mean if that's if that's interesting Ooh. to you guys, that'll um. If you have that's a problem a with that, one. I'm sure you'd wanna you wanna <laughs> figure out what I'm doing with that. But um, yeah, I talked to a bunch of people. I tried to do it where it's like, I tried to get like you know the old school, on the ground journalists. I tried to get the really like data driven analytics guys like uh Krishna Narsu from B Ball Index. Um, I did the coaches. Obviously, I did the players. But I tried to I tried to get a holistic perspective of kind of what the game was like. I think you did a phenomenal job. I can't recommend it enough. Again, it's at the underscore quest six. It's fantastic work. And, you know, I was honored to be a part of it uh, to, to include my name among those other dudes like Bob Ryan to be in the same podcast series as Bob, as Bob Ryan. I, I probably need to retire. Uh, I, I probably just need to call it right now and, and you, say that I, I feel like you're selling career. yourself short. You I mean, don't think I'm Bob Ryan. We're talking about Joe Joe Monix, the Zach Lowe's Twitter buddy. <laughs> yeah, me and John Morant, we're tight. He, he's retweeted me a time or two, I think. We're we're very, we're best pals. I'm saying John. Zach Lowe. Yeah, Zach Lowe is retweeting me too. That's true. We're 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 best friends. Um, yeah, no, it, Twitter's crazy, man, and and this blogging stuff has been nuts. And I think I've been doing this six years now as the site manager, and nine years. This is year nine. As a blogger, I'm too old for this stuff. I, I need to leave it to the young guys like you. Um, but anyway, I digress. Chatting here with Matt Issa, I, I can't stress enough. Make sure you're checking out the quest for the best on uh, whatever, wherever you can get podcasts. And Matt, correct me if I'm wrong on that in, in terms of where folks can find the quest for the best. It, it's it's fantastic. And obviously, if you go to the Twitter account, there's details there for where you can find it too. He also does Hoops Head. He's on the Rise Network. Um, just lots of good stuff. Just make sure you're following him. He's a up and coming guy. And, uh, and I was excited to get him on this opening episode of the 2021, 2022 season of Grizzly Bear Blues Live. But obviously you're here for Memphis Grizzlies talk and Matt, I, I love bringing in people. And obviously we'll talk about J- or talk to Jackson in the next segment. I love having people on the show that aren't connected to Memphis. And my connection to Memphis obviously ages every year. I, I last lived in Memphis in 2014. So that was, you know, seven years ago now, which is crazy to think about. But I was so impacted by my time in Memphis and by the Grizzlies. 
that I continue to do this work. I'm passionate about it. And it's one of my ways to stay in touch with Memphis, which is one of my favorite places on the planet. But I think that when you're in that Memphis bubble, you get very caught up in not necessarily groupthink because Grizzlies fans are very intelligent, but I think that it's very easy to get caught up in viewing the team through one lens, whereas the bigger picture, the bigger screen of things can be seen a little bit better if you're not knee deep in it every day. So I'm just going to start off, Matt, with your general impressions. The Grizzlies win a tough game. It was close with two minutes and 30 seconds left. Cleveland was down one. But they win a game by double digits against the Cavaliers. They cover the spread and then some. So Memphis has a good victory. Their defense struggled. Their offense looked really good. John Morant looked the part of a superstar. Uh, There were good things shown by Steven Adams. Jaron Jackson Jr. had a good night, especially defensively. Um, Just your overall impressions of this Grizzlies team heading into this season. They're obviously one and no now, but with the last 81 games to go, what do you think about where Memphis stands as a team? Yeah, so I want a quick sidebar. I don't think you know this about me, Joe, but uh, I went to Michigan State for my undergrad, and I go there now for my grad school career. And obviously my time coincided with Jaron Jackson. I actually have a picture me and Jaron Jackson took together. I saw him at a football game his freshman year, and I'm like, man, I just got to I got to take a selfie with you, man. I'm sorry. And it's funny because like I'm five, nine and he's, you know, six, eleven. And he is all of six, eleven, by the way. He says he's but, seven um, foot now. Yeah, he, he might have grown. The guy's he's like, <laughs> you're younger than me. So but um, but back to that. So um, my first thoughts, I didn't I didn't watch the game all the way through and I was doing the league pass thing. But um, so. I'm going to be that guy because I know he had the highlight reel block, but it really did look like to me that Ja was a little bit more engaged on the defensive side of the ball, which is huge. And I'm sure um, you um, are really excited about that. And then yeah, because I've the- written about that a lot. Like to me, that mm-hmm. is a major, major thing for him because he was bad defensively last year, statistically one of the worst in the NBA. So there has to be improvement there. It's weird or else whatever he does offensively is going to be negated. It's weird to me, and that's the thing. He's got to be a plus defender, and he can be because of his athletic tools, and I think he's just a really smart guy. I mean, usually great passers make for good off-ball defenders, but um, he has to be a solid defender because I don't I don't know if that jump shot's ever going to come around to the point where he's like – I mean, I know this is not um fair, but like you have to be like a, a Damian Lillard like pull-up shooter – to be an elite level player and not be like a positive defender. You know what I mean? And so Jaws got to become a positive defender. I think like everyone wants to compare him to Russ. I see so much John Wall in him. I see so much John Wall in him. I think that's a great thing because at his best, John Wall was an all NBA guy. Obviously not that anymore, but um, some other things, Jaron Jackson, this is more preseason. I saw a lot of like pull up threes and that's just so scary He's he's awesome because like and you kind of talked about this. Um, you were on uh, Mark's pod the other day with uh, Stephen Adams, kind of how uh, yeah. scalable he is because he doesn't need a lot of usage. But I think Jaron Jackson's a similar type of guy where he really doesn't need a lot of touches. Like you don't have to like, you know, Jenkins doesn't have to like scheme him in a bunch. I mean, he kind of can play off Morant and you can, you know, Dylan Brooks, maybe one day you upgrade Dylan Brooks for a, a more efficient uh, on ball guy. But um no, Jaw is awesome to me. I see like to compare him to guys I've studied, I see a lot of Garnett in him, and that's like a 
that's a very, very beautiful thing if he's even, you know, 90% of what Kevin Garnett was. Anthony Sane is a, a radio host in Memphis. I've known him almost a decade now, and he used to be a blogger. He's done all sorts of stuff. Like I said, he does radio now in Memphis. And he made a comp that I've thought of before. I don't think I've ever said it because I wasn't necessarily brave enough to think it. Because to me, it's it's one of those names that if you say it, that, it, you know, you open yourself up pretty quickly because there's a lot of – He's a lot of passionate fans of this guy. I see Iverson, man. I think he's the second coming of Allen Iverson. I think he's got that mentality. He's got that handle. I think that, you know, he he's not Damian Lillard in terms of his game because Lillard obviously has that unlimited range. But in terms of the mentality, like he he's just a different dude up top. And I mean that as a compliment. And he obviously can match it physically right now. I think he's Allen Iverson. Like I think he's a rehashed, revamped. I agree with saying completely. Uh, and you can do a hell of a lot worse than the second coming of Allen Iverson. And uh, I, I'm hopeful that that continues to manifest because that's a pretty solid guy to have a career that aligns with. And you know what's cool about him? Um, I don't know if you've read uh, Joe Joe Varden's piece on him today, but he he loves Memphis. He loves it, man. And I, I love that about him because like. I'm all about like player autonomy, but like it's just so cool when you have the autonomy and you still want to hang out there. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah, I I struggle with the idea that everybody wants to be in New York and Los Angeles and Miami. Now, do most multimillionaire mid twenties people want to be in those places? Yeah, probably. But when I was, and again, I'm different for a lot of reasons. I I spent my mid twenties in Memphis, Tennessee. And I loved it. Like I had a blast. It, it was a fantastic place. I still podcast and blog about their NBA team because of how much I loved it when I lived there. So I, I think that people sell Memphis short sometimes in that way. And, and John Morant, as they mentioned the article that you referenced in the athletic, you know, he's from a small place in South Carolina. Like Memphis is probably big. It's definitely big comparatively speaking. And he, he doesn't need all that stuff. So I, I'm I'm very excited to have John Morant in the fold. Obviously, he's going to be there through restricted free agency, barring any you know fallout of the relationship, which doesn't look like that's going to happen anytime soon. It's exciting times to be a Grizzlies fan. It really is in that way. Uh, we're finishing up here with Matt. Make sure you're following him on Twitter at uh, Matt, M-A-T-I-S-S-A-15. He does a remarkable job. Again, I, I know I've said it. I sound like a broken record. The, the Quest for the Best is one of the best put together limited series podcasts I've ever heard. The research that he did, the production on it, it's top notch. You need to make sure you're checking it out if you haven't already done so at the underscore Quest 6. So Matt, I'm going to get you out of here on this. Uh, every time I do a show or almost every time I do a show, I post a question of the day. I noticed that you retweeted it and I appreciate that. Um, the question of the day today, and thanks to the almost 180 folks that voted in the poll, what bold prediction do you see as the most likely to happen for the Grizzlies this season? Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. winning the most improved player award, Ja Morant being named to the all NBA team, Ja and Jaron both being all stars or the Grizzlies being a top four seed. I voted for Ja Morant making the all NBA team. I think that while that is bold, it is also possible, especially if he's somehow able to maintain close to the level of play 
that he showed against the Cavaliers. Now, he's not going to be go- going against Garland and Sexton defensively every night. I think there's going to be some slowdown here and there. But if he can maintain close to that level, he's an all-NBA player, and that makes him eligible for the Supermax, of course, which will hurt Memphis's pockets a little bit, but they'll happily pay it if he's that good. Uh, if you voted, Matt, which one did you vote for? And if you didn't vote, let's vote now. Which of those four do you think is the most likely to happen for the Grizzlies in this season? So I did vote, and I was like thinking about it for a while. But um, okay, so here's my thing with the Morant All NBA. I'm on like this insane Zach Levine kick right now, where I just think this guy is the he's the like he's the best thing since sliced bread, you know. And I think that he will probably take that like fringe like All NBA third team spot for the guard over Morant. I just think the Bulls might be a little better team this year. I'm sorry if that offends you, Grizzly fans. But um, me, I'm thinking that right now they're booing you as we speak. Um, I'm thinking right now that um, it's been kind of a long time since we've seen him play basketball, and people probably forgot how good he was. And I think he, there's a real chance he's a 20 point per game scorer this year and an all defensive team guy. I think uh, Triple J, like I mean, he's got like an outside chance of maybe winning Most Improved just because people forgot how good he was. He was one of those dark horse candidates. I, I know he was listed on uh, on DraftKings and FanDuel and those places. I know he was listed at like maybe plus 1,200 or something like that to win. So he was a long shot compared to like Michael Porter Jr. and and others of those types of players. But, you know, I, 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 I'm with you. I could see that argument. I think that the least likely of the four is both Ja and Jaron making the all-star game. Um, yeah. Because the Grizzlies, in theory, you know, the Clippers fall apart. The Lakers and Warriors are older. You know, there's an opening there to maybe be the four seed. I'm not saying it's going to happen. But as far as bold predictions go, I think just by numbers and the way that the Grizzlies have shown they've improved over the last two years, that would be more possible than two Memphis Grizzlies players making up 12 of the Western Conference All-Stars. Um, I, I don't see that happening at all. But anyway, I digress. Matt, thank you so much. Again, I can't stress enough. The quest for the best. It's remarkable work done by a rising star in this uh, this podcasting, blogging community. Uh, Matt, I, I thank you for everything, and uh, I'm sure we'll have you back on again soon. Oh, yeah. It was good uh, being on, Joe. I'll see you soon. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, don't go anywhere when we come back. We'll have Jackson Frank on, talking Jaron Jackson Jr., and more. You're listening to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinax, and I'm excited here in the second final segment of this week's show to be joined by official friend of the show after multiple appearances on GBB Live, Mr. Jackson Frank. He is a fantastic writer. If you haven't checked out his work, he's everywhere. Basketball (laughs) news. Uh, he writes for Dime, Liberty Ballers. You know, he's fantastic, records podcasts, does all sorts of things. Follow him on Twitter at JackFrank underscore JJF. If you don't already do so, you most certainly should be because he's one of the very best out there writing on the NBA at large. He's written recently about Memphis's favorite unicorn, Jack, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., and that's exactly what we're going to lead off with here tonight. Jackson, before we begin, I do need to ask you, sir, and if uh, folks follow you on Twitter, again, at Jack Frank underscore JJF, I need some advice. 
How do you grow such a fantastic mustache, sir? Uh, I don't. I mean, that's that's a great question. I mean, that's about the only thing I can I can grow consistently. Um, the beard will never come in. I mean, at least in, at least for now, it doesn't come in. But um, I don't know. I, I wish I had a better insight. But it's I guess it's just a matter of nothing else grows. So uh, if you want facial hair, you just you just go with the uh, lowest common denominator. And that's what shows up, I suppose. Some things are just a gift. Right? Some <laughs> things are just a gift and, and you were gifted the gift of the stash, I suppose. <laughs> you were also gifted the gift of writing, sir, mm-hmm. and you do a tremendous job at that. And I really enjoyed your piece. Again, he does a great job writing at lots of different places. But when he whenever he writes about the Grizzlies, of course, I read it. And and Jackson, you wrote a great piece about Jaron Jackson Jr. and the amazing, amazing, amazing talent that he is in terms of how unique he is and what this season will be for him. So if you would just give our uh, our listeners a bit of a rundown as to what your piece kind of dove into, again, obviously you should go check it out, but um, just talk to our, our listeners about what exactly you dove deep in with, with Jaron entering this important season for him. Even though he has an extension, it's still a pretty important season for him long-term. Yeah, so over at Dime, we did kind of a, a series about an X-Factor concept or player or development on every team. And with with Jaron, I talked about the idea that, you know, clearly the Grizzlies are trying to balance some short-term success by trading away Jonas Valanciunas uh, with the long-term development by, you know, getting that 10th tenth, that tenth overall pick, you know, going from 17th to 10th in last year's draft, or this year's draft, I should say, uh, last season's, I suppose, um, and how trying to figure out where exactly Jaron fits best, whether it's the four or the five. He's kind of, you know, right now he's a, he's a, he's a starting four, but they also played him as the backup four slash five. And I mean, I don't know exactly what you want to call Brandon Clark versus first chair in the, the starting front court, I guess, to an extent, uh, or the backup front court, my goodness. Um, and just talking about how this season is so important to clarifying, like, can he be a full-time five by the time he's 25 or 26 and he and Jar and their primes together? Because I think you saw at times yesterday in that opening game and you've seen throughout Jaw's career, um, he's really good when when that big man defender has to account, you know, for a stretch big or something like that, um, how he can get all the way downhill because it's a tremendous finisher and, and driver. Um, and if you can get that to be your full-time pairing, that that would be great for the Grizzlies and for Jaw in particular. That's kind of the centerpiece of this rebuild alongside Jaron, or I guess Jaron's alongside Jaw. Um, and just how, how Jaron gets to that stage, whether, you know, whether it's becoming, you know, more be less foul prone or, you know, cl- like tighten up the rebounding thing, you know, because one of the things I talked about is you can go with kind of the gang rebounding approach with the times the Grizzlies do. Um, but you want to make sure those guys are getting out in transition because Jaw is so dynamic there. Um, I mean, I don't know how many of his points yesterday came in transition early offense, but um, you don't want to have to have three or four guys on the board. You want your center to hold it down, which is what Steven Adams does largely. But if Jaw can get there or Jaron, excuse me, um, that would, that would be huge. So it's just about kind of cleaning up the holes in this game that exist, you know, prevent him from being a full-time five while also acknowledging what would make him so enticing among his current skills at that five position that maybe are exist at the four, but aren't quite as dynamic or valuable. Um, so it's, you know, it's, the, it's the mobility as a shooter. It's being able to tack off the catch, um, you know, get downhill a little bit it was tough sledding a little bit for Jaron because he'd probably, Yesterday, we met one of the only guys who's as mobile as him at the four or five or at that size, and Evan Mobley. Um, but you saw some of the things he can, he, he can do really well. So it's just about breaking down kind of how the Grizzlies go about 
you know, fostering that success and figuring out where exactly he he is optimized alongside John moving forward. There was a little bit of that vibe of the the Spider-Man meme, right? Like Jaron <laughs> and Evan kind of pointing at each other. There was some similarities in the game. I noticed that too. And Laurie Markinen playing the three. Uh, I think that threw off everybody. Poor poor Desmond Bain and DeAnthony Melton. Good luck uh, trying to, to defend that if he tried to post you up. Of course, he didn't actually do that. And, um, that's, you know. Somewhere I think anything, they, it, benefited, it benefited Memphis. You know, I think right. Desmond got no, off, I agree. Open off no. all, a lot of some drives. But, yeah, it was funny watching John Desmond guard, guard Lowry a yeah. few times. Golly. Like so, some uh, 1960s NBA center is rolling over in his grave right now because <laughs> a seven-foot small forward that's really a big did not post up, I don't think, once in that game. Um, but, anyway, I digress. Uh I, I think that your your piece is excellent. And again, it's Memphis Grizzlies X-Factor, Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, it, it focuses on that relationship, or at least a part of the article is about the relationship between Jackson and Steven Adams. And I think that my biggest hot take takeaway from last night didn't really have much to do with the idea of John Morant being an all-NBA player, like we talked about in the first segment, or you know, even that the Grizzlies could be a top four or five team in the West. I think my biggest hot take was sitting there and watching Steven Adams play and go, are we sure he's not going to be here longer than a year or two? Because again, it's one game. I know we had a much larger sample size in New Orleans, right? Like we have obvious that more games played of Steven Adams potentially being washed, but he did exactly what the Grizzlies need him to do in against the Cavaliers. He set screens at a high level. He rebounded and he didn't take a ton of shots. And I think that that is what maybe I undersold. I didn't miss it, but I undersold it. And again, it was just one game. They have a four game road trip. That's going to test them a little bit this week. I, I do think that Jonas Valanciunas is very good. And I don't think that it's foolish to say that Jonas is a better basketball player than Steven Adams. But I think at this point of the rebuild, Jackson, when you want to see what Jaron Jackson Jr. can do, when you want John Morant to take the leap, when you want Desmond Bain and DeAnthony Melton and Kyle Anderson and these guys to get up more shots, is it possible that, I don't want to say addition by subtraction because it sounds like I'm trying to be disrespectful to Jonas. And even though I'm apparently the president of the Jonas Valanciunas Player Haters Club, I really think he's a very good basketball player. Is I think Steven Adams is a better fit for this version of the Memphis Grizzlies. The first two years of the rebuild, Jonas was the security blanket. He was the guy that you go to when the offense got stagnant because it was going to get stagnant because they were so young. But now they're still young, the third youngest team in the NBA, but they're more experienced. They've played together, most of these guys, now for two years. Even though they're young, they at least have that NBA experience where they can fight through that awkwardness of offense that happens sometimes. And I don't know that they needed Jonas Valanciunas anymore. So am I crazy for saying that? Again, Jonas I, Valanciunas yeah. individually, better basketball player. Steven Adams in this version of the Grizzlies rebuild, I'm leaning towards him being a better fit. Yeah, I think uh, – so, I mean, it's, it's tough for me. And obviously, if you're up, I mean, you're not just going up one game, but uh, – JV had a tough time against uh, the Sixers yesterday. I think it was three of nineteen. Joel get Joel and B gave him a lot of issues, um, but like I, I get that idea. I think you know the idea of the security blanket. Maybe you could argue that like just just scale down the usage for JV, like rather than having him average 
what average 17 or 18 last year, then almost 20 when he first came over in the trade, get it down to that, that 12, 13 point range. Um, but he definitely saw the benefits. Obviously, you know, Desmond Bain, I think, flashed him a little more off the dribble stuff that maybe we saw in college. It wasn't there as much in his first season in the NBA. Um, you know, Melton, I thought, had some nice ball handling responsibilities as well. So I, I get the vision. It's tough for me to to side with it. But I think there's definitely like ways that maybe it helps facilitate some on-ball growth because that's the biggest thing, right, is Jaws, Jaws, their primary ball handler. But then outside of JV, it's like, where do you go for consistent, you know, creation or consistent scoring? Obviously, Dylan Brooks can be that guy as well. But um, he's a little older, too, right? He's, what, 26, 27 since he was a four-year player. Like, what can you get out of these 21, 22, 23-year-olds? And I think what, what Steven Adams can bring is he's a better passer than JV, especially from the elbows. You saw a couple of really nice passes to backdoor cutters, and one to John in particular, I recall. recall. Um, so I, I think I, I, in terms of maybe, like, putting a little more on the plate of these young guys outside of Ja, who's always going to have an enormous workload. You saw that, especially in the playoffs last year, um, you know, when, when JV maybe struggled a little bit. That that angle, I, I think, makes sense. But I do I do think it, it, you can just kind of maybe lighten the workload for JV and kind of maybe put a little more on on these other guys. And if everything breaks down when these guys are running more pick and rolls or attacking off the catch, then you give it to JV. But I, I see where you're coming from. I just, I just think that JV is a really nice kind of, you know, complimentary player and you can just kind of give him fewer touches if you need um but ultimately the the division of the the team kind of changes a little bit right like when they when they went away from jv it's like okay we'd still love to make the playoffs love to take the next step but maybe it's okay if you know desmond bain goes six for 17 one night rather than jv going nine for 17 we'll lose by four it's okay and because he's experimenting with more read passing reads you know trying to score off the dribble more so um i definitely see where you're coming from and it's maybe an angle i hadn't considered as much um, but I still think JV made more sense, assuming maybe you just scale it down a little bit and give, gave, gave more touches to other guys offensively. I will say this. It was nice to not see as much drop coverage defensively. Like that was, a, that was refreshing. It was a breath of fresh air that I, and I think that's part of it too. You know, Steven Adams gives you more defensive versatility that Jonas did not provide. You knew exactly what was coming every time that Jonas Valanciunas is on the floor. Steven Adams obviously still does drop coverage, but he's also capable of switching, and there's different types of things that they can do. And again, Steven Adams isn't elite at switching, but the the idea of it is possible with Adams, whereas with Jonas, whenever it accidentally happened, you're like, oh my God, he's moving. Like It, it was almost like a, a surprise. Yeah, I, I wonder if that's tenable against a team whose two best creators aren't you know these smaller guards like the Cavs are. Um, like I, I didn't love Stevens, uh, where to call him Steven. I'll, I'll call him Adams. I don't know. It's, I didn't love Adams. <laughs> I didn't love Stevens work. <laughs> <laughs> or not on a first name basis like that. Um, <laughs> someday he seems like a delightful personality, but, um, I didn't love Adams movement skills last year in New Orleans. I thought he really struggled. Um, but at the same time, I think where he, what he will benefit and where JV benefited, um, last year is Memphis's you know, perimeter defense is much better than New Orleans is right. And so, um, it was a it was a twofold thing in New Orleans with Stephen, where a lot was being thrown into his plate and pick and roll coverage, and he didn't handle it very well. But too much was being thrown on his plate. Whereas, you know, now it's like, okay, you've got Melton, you've got Dylan when he comes back. Um, you know, you've got I'm probably you know I think De- Desmond isn't great navigating screens, but he can force guys away from screens with strength. So um, you've got better better talent to maybe mask some of Stephen's flaw Stephen Adams' flaws in a way that maybe the New Orleans wasn't capable of and also something that JV benefited from last year. So um, I think he's largely still a drop coverage guy, but I do think he should look better because he's got better perimeter defenders around him. And that's the thing is a lot of times 
you just watch a guy get all the way to the rim and pick and roll. And you say, well, that was on the big man. Right. But, you know, let's rewind it and say, well, you know, the guard was stuck on the screen for three seconds and then it was a, it was a one on two. And so um, that's the other thing I think Steven got, you know, Steven Adams got stuck in a lot last year, um, even if he had his own faults, but yeah, I think he's definitely going to look better defensively in a, in a better defensive context. That's just how generally things work. Yeah. That's, that's the hard hitting analysis you come to GVB live for <laughs> is the host setting up the setting up the guest for, yeah, if you're on a better defensive team, you're going to be better defensively. Um, <laughs> you can tell it's my first show back, but I'm going to work back into shape here. Uh, we're talking with Jackson Frank at Jack Frank underscore JJF. Again, he does a great job at Dime, Basketball News, Liberty Ballers, literally all over the place. Um, make sure you're giving him a follow at Jack Frank underscore JJF. Uh, you mentioned that you watched the game on Wednesday night and uh, you do a great job kind of sorting through things on Twitter, showing clips of plays that you notice. Uh, I was curious when I was grading the game, I had the report card for GBB on Thursday. And when I was grading it, the one bad grade I gave was to the team defense as a whole, because I think that Cleveland is better than people give them credit for. If the Cavaliers made the play in this season, I would not be surprised at all. But I think giving up the 121 points is a bit much. And Jared Allen is awesome. And I've always liked Jared Allen. Him shooting 11 for 11 (laughs) is a bit much. So from your watching of the game, I have my opinion, but I want to hear yours first. What exactly, because even John Morant mentioned it, and his post-game comments, that wasn't good enough defensively. If Memphis hopes to go 2-2 two and two on this four-game West Coast swing they're about to enter, they need to do a hell of a lot better than they did against Cleveland defensively. Yeah, I, I really thought they missed, missed Dylan's physicality on the perimeter. Um, it just felt like there wasn't consistent resistance when, you know, when, when Darius Garland was running pick and rolls. Um, I thought their help defense wasn't great either. Like, there were a lot of times where I think – like, I don't know off the top of my head, but it felt like there were a few times where Cleveland, you know, would get an offensive rebound and kind of scrambling back to to an assignment, you know, just wasn't there. Um, so that, that was the biggest thing. But just mainly what stood out to me is just, like, ever felt like it didn't consistently feel like Cleveland had to retreat to option 1B or 2. It, you know, they're going to run a pick and roll. They're going to run some flare screens, things like that off the ball. And they just really missed, you know, Dylan's ability to fight over screens, to be physical, to force the offense into something it doesn't want to do primarily. So um, as I said to me, I didn't, it didn't seem like, um, like it didn't seem like Anthony Melton played the point of attack as much as I'm used to with him for whatever reason. Like I don't have the numbers on that, but I just didn't, I, I didn't see him there a lot. Um, for as good as Jaw was offensively in that game, I definitely thought he still struggled defensively, especially navigating screens um by no means is he the main culprit i mean he was incredible offensively um so that's what stood to me is mainly just dylan and then i just i don't know I'm, I'm trying to think on the interior like you know i think the one maybe the one area where, where steven adams is still kind of behind you know, behind things is he's still he's still very i don't know i guess slow is the way i'd put it that seems maybe a little harsh but i think Jared allen had some pretty decisive moves inside um because he's also just younger he's a little he's a little more lively off the ground so and that's where that where maybe Steven Adams hurt them a little bit. Um, you know, not saying Jonas Valanciunas is some like some incredible mover, but I think he's a, just a little more adept at understanding angles and getting to the spots in a way that, that Steven Adams wasn't at least in game one of, of this year. So that's what stood out to me is I didn't think the help was great. 
I thought they got stuck on a lot of screens. You know, I mentioned Desmond Bain being good, maybe in one-on-one, but asking him to navigate a lot of screens is not his forte defensively just because he's so, he's so, I mean, he's so strong. I mean, it's just tougher, right? So I thought it was just screen navigation, point of attack, and then Steven not, Steven Adams not being great handling some of the decisive moves that Jared Allen threw his way, or even Evan Mobley when Evan Mobley was in the game at the, at the five for stretches. How much of it could be the fact we made light of the size of the Cavaliers front court um, in that game. Again, Laurie Markinen playing the three, uh, which is ridiculous. You talk about fighting over screens. You talk about the size and missing Dylan Brooks's physicality. How much of it was, you know, the six, three, I think if we're being kind, the Anthony Melton, the six, four, I think if we're being kind, Desmond Bain, having to deal with that on the perimeter. And Ja Morant, you know, Ja has to get better defensively. I think that's a glaring hole in his game. And he's never going to be an all-defense team player. He just can't be one of the five worst defensive guards in the NBA, which statistically he was last season, like we talked about in the first segment. He needs to grow there. Um, and he, I mean, the block was, was pretty impressive. But like you said, it's navigating screens. It's It's finding your way in defensive sets so that you're not getting lost behind a guy. You know, it's being more capable of recognizing what the opposing offense is going to do to you. And John Miranda is so vital to the offense that, again, you're not expecting him to become Tony Allen on the floor. You're expecting him to become a player that their value offensively is increased even more because of what they're capable of defensively. So could, could it be how undersized those three guys were? Could that have had an effect? Yeah, I definitely think the smaller, the smaller, um, you know, just, I mean, three guard lineup basically with, with Melton, Bain and Jaw, um, you know, two of whom at, at best, you know, between, between Bain and, and Jaw are, are neutral. I mean, I'd say both of them were net, were net negative defenders. Um, last year, obviously Melton was, Melton's Melton. We know how good he can be. Um, but I, and I, I don't think it's necessarily specifically against Cleveland because like, Part of Larry Markin's issue is that he doesn't play up to a seven foot size at times. Like, I mean, you know, he's, he's, he's largely a perimeter based player. He had a few times where he tried to attack inside and it, it went very poorly yesterday. And that's kind of been the case consistently throughout his career, unfortunately. So um, like, I think like, I got why they wanted to start three guards. I mean, it was nice to have two really good, really good off ball shooters around jaw in, in Melton and Bain. But I wonder if maybe it makes sense in certain matchups to go with a guy like Kyle Anderson um, because he, you know, he's not super strong, but because he's so good at understanding angles and he's, you can handle the ball a little bit as well. You know, the jumper isn't great, um, especially if he falls back to pre-2020-21 shooting levels from deep. Um, but I think that could be something that makes some sense because I just think in general, independent even in the matchup, it's hard to survive, you know, against a, a random, against an average NBA opponent with three guards like that. Unless, I mean, unless it's like, unless it's guys that are really, really good defensively, which, you know, I don't think Bain and Jaw, you know, cap you know qualifies that right like we know how good melton is but um so i just think in general yeah they just lack a little bit of size and in conjunction with you know jaw and desmond's inability to navigate screens efficiently that put a lot on the plate of a guy like stephen adams um and even melton you know again i didn't i didn't didn't feel like i saw melton um you know play on the ball a ton defense he had he has a few plays that i recall from my notes but um didn't feel like maybe this the level that i'm accustomed to seeing him work on the ball defensively and um, I just think maybe a guy like Kyle Anderson could help a little bit there, but I do wonder kind of about the the shooting trade-off because that's what makes Desmond so valuable is he's quick trigger. He's going to let it go from deep. 
uh, and even had some more balls. Because obviously Kyle can handle the ball a little bit, but I do wonder if that's someone that could make sense um, to kind of mix and match, you know, lineups until until Dylan gets back. And I think that when you look at the numbers, when it comes to Kyle Anderson, we have evidence now that suggests that he is a much better four than he is a three. And I believe that Taylor Jenkins wants to allow for Kyle to maximize his ability while also acknowledging that Jaron Jackson Jr. is the future 1B or number two to John Morant's 1 or 1A. So it's a balancing act with those guys. It's going to be one that's going to be fun to kind of watch play out the rest of the season. We're finishing up here with Jackson Frank at Jack Frank underscore JJF. Again, dime, Liberty Ballers, basketball news. He's all over the place. He does a tremendous job covering the NBA at large. I'm curious as to your overall outlook for these Memphis Grizzlies. Because again, I like bringing you on the show because you have a perspective of all the teams. You're not just in the in the mud with the Grizzlies in Memphis. So when you look at this team, when I did our season predictions over at SB Nation, I said, best case scenario, they're the sixth seed. And I, I think if, if, if they're a sixth seed in, the, in that conference, then the Southwest Division Championship, which shouldn't matter, but it does because the Grizzlies have never won a division title. Um, I think that's in play. You know, I think if they're in that five, six seed range, Dallas could maybe fall back and it's the Grizzlies that take over. On the flip side of that, I think worst case scenario, they could be out of the play in entirely. Now, a lot has to go wrong. Serious injury to Jaw, serious injury to Jaron. God forbid, serious injury to both. Regression from Bain and Melton and other players. So I'm curious. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'll edit that. So I'm curious. What do you see as a best case scenario for the Grizzlies this year? What do you see as a worst case scenario for the Grizzlies this year? And where do you have them winding up? I've got them in that seven, eight, nine range, trying to fight to be out of the play-in, but probably in hosting a game range of the play-in. What is your best, worst, and realistic case for Memphis this year? Yeah, so I think I'm I'm definitely lower on their prospects this year. Um, just because I did think Jonas was so important to what they did. You love Jonas Valanciunas. I did. Admit it. I'm yeah. the president of the haters club <laughs> and you're the vice president of the lovers club. <laughs> I'll take it. Um, but I really thought he was important to, you know, I know he struggled defensively in the playoffs, but I thought his drop coverage was pretty important in the last couple of years in the regular season. I thought him being a security blanket of a guy you can dump the ball into, you know, and produce anywhere from 16 to 20 points basically every night for a year and a half was important. So I think kind of their upward spot for me would be that that H9 range. I have them a little closer right on the border of that the play in 10-11. Um, I was I'm I'm curious kind of I think you know what helps in their favor, which is unfortunate to say, is you know just the Zion the Zion Williamson timeline. I think the Pelicans should be a for decently good team this year, but with Zion being out for who knows how long that's which unfortunately is the case. And that helps Memphis just maybe you know, pick up a few games before he's back. Um, so I have them kind of in that 10 to 11 range. I think I like what Minnesota has this year. Um, they were quietly like a pretty competent team when they had, uh, you know, when Chris Finch was coaching, when Kat was there, when Ant was in the second half last year and D'Angelo Russell was healthy. So, um, obviously maybe it's tough to count on D'Lo being healthy for the Wolves, unfortunately, but, um, I think they're a team that should be kind of right in that same tier. 
Um, partly I'm baking in that I think given the fact they traded Jonas, that signals maybe prioritizing a little more development than, you know, immediate win now moves all the time. Um, so I, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if they're right in that kind of the hunt of, you know, making the plan or hosting a playing game. Um, but I have them just a little lower and maybe, you know, vying to make the plan itself and, and, you know, kind of stay alive. So, um, I could, I could look wrong. I mean, I think, you know, jaw looked very good. Um, I'm curious to kind of see what the next step is for him as a scorer. Um, you know, how that comes, he's had the floor the last couple of years so well, he's so good at playing ball screens with his pacing and whatnot. But, um, I think I'm curious there. I mean, I thought Desmond Bain, you know, like I mentioned, he has a little more ball skills than we saw last year. Um, you know, we haven't even talked about him yet much, but like, I thought Brandon Clark looked much more like him, his rookie year self. Um, just in terms of athletically, like I thought he was much quicker off the ground than we saw last year. Um, I know, he was dealing with what, like a hamstring injury or something in the bubble right. a couple of years ago. And I think, yeah. you know, it could be just be like kind of confirmation device, but it just looked like someone that kind of hampered him a little bit. Didn't look like the same athlete I saw, you know, pre-draft and then, you know, as a rookie. So that could help. For sure. Yeah. He just, I mean, he only had six points, but he was, he was, he was, he was, he was light off the ground, attacking the glass, finishing plays above the rim. Um, you know, didn't take any threes, but um, which is part of why he was so, so useful as a rookie to an extent, but, just looked more like himself. So those are, that's the thing that I, you know, between Desmond and, and Brandon Clark looking better um, than they were last year, that could help for sure as well. So um, I would be a little lower, but I wouldn't be surprised if they're again in that seven to eight to nine range, because um, they've got a lot of pretty useful players. They've got a good coach in Taylor Jenkins. And um, I think, you know, they're a little more well-equipped to handle, you know, injury than maybe some other teams in that range are. So um, a little lower than you, but I definitely don't, I, I see, you know, and I didn't even mention J- a leap from Jaron that I think would be huge. So a um, little lower, maybe I'm too low on kind of the youth development, but um, maybe that's my practical side trying, trying not to be too much of a belief in what could happen. So um, rather than what is currently the case, but definitely see a case where they're right where you mentioned, but just a little lower on those, those prospects. But anyway, so I think it's something that uh, is inconceivable. I think it's definitely something that's in play. In the Joe Varden piece that came out about the Grizzlies and John Morant in particular, which if you haven't read that Grizzlies fans, you should, because it's going to make you sleep very well, wherever you, whenever you listen to the show, you're going to rest your head that night and you're just going to go, John Morant's not going anywhere because he <laughs> loves Memphis and everything's great. The Grizzlies nailed that draft pick. We talked about Zion being out a minute ago, just, ah, uh, John Morant, just enjoy it. Okay, it's not always going to be sunshine and rainbows, I'm sure. But right now, we can enjoy it. Um, but in that article, Varden interviews Grayson Allen. And that's somebody that we haven't mentioned yet, who Grayson mm-hmm. Allen earned every cent of that contract he got from the Bucks. I knew he would make that money. I just didn't want the Grizzlies to pay him that because they already had Melton and Bain. But that's not disrespect to Grayson. Like, Grayson's going to be awesome in Milwaukee. And I hope he balls out. But Grayson says exactly what you just said, Jackson. They are clearly not trying to pursue contention right now. If they're good, that's awesome. They're happy being good. They're not tanking by any stretch. But they're also not going to do anything that's going to sacrifice their long-term goals, like signing Grayson Allen or extending Jonas Valanciunas. They have an idea of what this roster is going to look like. They're going to stick to that plan no matter what it does to them in the short term while hoping their development programs enable them to stay competitive in the here and now. And will it work? I don't know. It's worked so far, but we're about to go on a four game West coast swing 
that's going to be an early test of year three of this Grizzlies rebuild. Jackson Frank, again, I, I can't say enough how thankful I am to have you on the show. We'll have to have you on again. You do tremendous work over at Dime, Basketball News, Liberty Ballers. Wherever you are, you're doing excellent writing, and folks should follow you at Jack Frank underscore JJF. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate you. We'll have you on again soon. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate the kind words and uh, excited to always talk to Grizzlies. They're, they're a fun team. I, I like I like talking about them. So hopefully, uh, they talk, hopefully they're, out, they're outperforming my expectations and making me look a little uh, too pessimistic on them by, by midseason. Uh-huh. I'm never wrong about anything, Jackson. I'm never <laughs> wrong about anything. No one ever points it out to me either. Uh, for Jackson, for Matt, I'm Joe Mullinax. Thank you guys so much. Listen on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iTunes, iHeart. However you get your podcasts, check out the GBB Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter at GBB Live. At SBN Grizzlies is the, pl- is the blog that I'm very fortunate to be the site manager of, SBNationsGrizzlyBearBlues.com. Make sure you're checking out all the great work of all of our writers over there. Again, thank you to Jackson. Thank you to Matt. Thank to you. Thanks to you, wherever you are listening. I'm site manager Joe Molinax. I'm going to try to get my voice back for the next time that I'm with you guys. Grind forth, Grizz Nation. This is Grizzly Bear News. <laughs> <laughs>